Welcome to our first segment of this afternoon's program. It's Sunday, the 9th of May 2021. It is presently 1.04 p.m. in the studio of Observer Media. I'm your host, Kareem Joseph. The government of Antigua and Barbuda is now in the second phase of its vaccination program. While the first phase saw major successes with 15,000 people vaccinated in short order, the uptake in the second round of the campaign has been sluggish. The response of the public has forced government officials to mull the potential of mandating the shot. Last week, Prime Minister Gaston Brown warned of the possibility of implementing a mandatory vaccination program in Antigua and Barbuda and criticized people who are encouraging others not to get vaccinated. He said the government hasn't been trying to avoid introducing any mandatory requirements for vaccinations, but signaled that the administration would do so if necessary. The government also launched a $50 voucher program in collaboration with the Epicurean Fine Foods and Pharmacy for people opting to take the first dose of the vaccine for the first time. The Pan-American Health Organization, PAHO, this week also advised against the mandating of vaccines to arrive at herd immunity and the offering of incentives to encourage the same in their latest press briefing, which was held on last Thursday. Here is what the assistant director of PAHO, Dr. Jabas Barbosa, had to say on the matter. It's not to recommend the use of uh, mandatory measures or vouchers to, uh, to encourage people to get vaccinated. Of course, that this is a decision that uh, every country uh, can make. But uh, in our perspective, the most important measure to guarantee that the people will get vaccinated is to provide the right information to the families, to the communities. That press conference was actually last Wednesday. Dr. Barbosa also explained that governments would be better served developing a very comprehensive communication plan to boost vaccine interest. On this segment, we will ask our guests, can we reverse the trend of vaccine hesitancy and how should we go about doing so? Our guests for this segment are Dr. Lester Simon. He's a pathologist and the chairman of the vaccination National Technical Working Group. Good afternoon, Dr. Simon. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. Also with us, we have Alvina Reynolds. She joins us from St. Lucia. Ms. Reynolds, she was a member of parliament from 2011, that is, to 2016 with the St. Lucia Labour Party and was a Minister of Health, Wellness, Human Services and Gender Relations during that time. Good afternoon, Ms. Reynolds. Good afternoon, Kadim Joseph, and good afternoon to all listeners. Thank you for joining us for this segment, and we'll jump right into our first question. Dr. Simon, uh, allow me to ask Dr. Reynolds our first question, since we don't have the benefit of being in St. Lucia. Uh, Dr. Uh, Miss Reynolds, that is, uh, how do you describe, or how would you describe the present state of vaccinations in St. Lucia? What, what are people saying down there? What is the attitude towards vaccinations down there? Um... Thank you again, um, Mr. Joseph, and then let me uh, wish all mothers in uh, Antigua and Barbuda and the Eastern Caribbean Happy Mother's Day on this Sunday, or Happy Mothering Sunday. Um, in St. Lucia, um, I think we are now facing the similar situation as in Antigua and Barbuda, in that during the when the first dosage of the vaccine started, the process started, it was going pretty well, and we had up to today we have 25,200 people 
who have taken the first first dose of the of the vaccine that is about 14 percent of the population and the second dose we have 13,148 that is about 52 percent about half of the people who have taken the first dose have taken the second dose and it's a bit sluggish now and we are hearing uh, a number of, of, of comments a number of you have the anxieties just like in Antigua and Barbuda persons are concerned about blood clots persons are really pushing others to go out and take the vaccine but they are resisting as and especially concerning are persons who have underlying conditions refusing to take the vaccine because of fear because of anxieties of the conspiracy theories that we have out on social media etc so it is really a, a, a cause for concern that was echoed in the parliament last week during by the former prime minister dr kenny anthony whose constituents are saying to him that they will not take it and we know in the caribbean and saint lucia in particular we have a high percentage of persons with underlying conditions diabetes hypertension um, asthma etc but we are seeing the resistance as it pertains to the second dose persons some people who have taken the first dose are prepared not to take the second dose and this is this is a little bit of a concern, not a little bit. It is very concerning um, for, I'm sure, the Ministry of Health. However, you have not have not heard that being addressed very seriously by the, the powers that be. And that is, for me, a bit of concern. And we're going to get to, to that uh, as well, because I guess there are criticisms to the same extent here in Antigua and Barbuda. But I'll ask Dr. Simon to jump in here. Uh, and Dr. Simon, from your vantage point, uh, what is the state of vaccinations here in Antigua as it relates to the attitudes of people towards vaccines? Well, it, it's similar to St. Lucia's, and I think it's similar throughout the Caribbean, and in fact, similar across the world. Uh, we have some information coming out of some studies that were done um, earlier um, this year. This year, and there are preliminary data. But when you look at the, the reasons for apathy or the reason, reasons for hesitancy, you, you see things like concern about the side effects and concern about the vaccine not being safe. And as uh, Ms. Reynolds said, you know, waiting until others have had it so they can see what happens. And um, ironically, um, waiting because they don't think that the current vaccine will protect um, protect them from, from the variants, which is a bit of an irony, because if you don't take the vaccine that's available, you're given chance, you know, greater chance for variants to, to, um, to take place. So all of this says to me that there's need for more education. And I, I think it's probably putting a little bit too heavily to say that it, it may in fact be an indictment on the medical profession um, that we, we have not tried hard enough or we, we maybe have tried hard enough we have tried hard but we need to try harder to get to get the message out because quite frankly i don't think we understand COVID or we have not explained what COVID is in fact we should stop talking about COVID and start to talk about COVID and its family of variants so we can understand that COVID and its family of variants are in fact what I refer to as the perfect enemy. And we need to understand the enemy as much as we can so we can understand, we can understand how to react to it. Understood. No, Dr. Simon, I, I want to stay with you there. And, and you brought up a very interesting point, and that is the issue of 
individuals or, or, or medical practitioners and people in the medical field or medical sciences perhaps dropping the ball just a little bit in terms of educating individuals. And this perhaps harkens back to concerns that, that we have seen over the years where individuals will go to the doctor and you know they get a, a prescription without that medical practitioner actually explaining why they're getting the, the script, why they why they feel the way they feel, uh, and, and explaining the, the background to the treatment or the background to the ailment that an individual may be experiencing. Do you think that perhaps th this level of, of uh, gullibility to misinformation is because in general people just don't understand medicine, they don't understand the concepts and, and this, this large sort of barrage of information that's coming to them about something that they don't often face? Well, it, it's multifactorial. I mean, when you're sick, regardless of what causes sickness, you don't hear. I mean, you feel. You go to the doctor and doctors do explain or try to explain what the situation is. But when you work in a laboratory, as I do, I mean, I've been not surprised, but it was interesting from I came home in 1983 and even before that, you'll see people come to the laboratory and they begin to ask questions that you think should have been answered in the doctor's office. It's not that the doctor didn't say anything or the nurse didn't say anything, but as I said, when you're sick, you, you really don't hear. Um, health has become the sort of new frontier where everyone is talking about health um, and everyone is reading about their health. So we're in a, a sort of crossroads where information is given out, but information is also taken in from the internet. And you, in fact, you have some patients coming to the doctor and telling the doctor what they think the, the treatment ought to be. So we're in, a, we're in a strange place as far as health is concerned, and we have to get, get a hand in it. So it's multifactorial to, to answer, to answer your, your question. Now, Ms. Reynolds, do you think that we need to boost health information services? And, and that, that sort of springboards off of uh, what Dr. Simon just spoke to. Uh, there is a, a wide variety of information on the World Wide Web. Uh, lots of people turning to Dr. Google rather than their traditional medical practitioners going to a medical practitioner in, in person. So do we need to to switch up the, the approach to health information and, and be more aggressive in how we take information that is pertinent to uh, public health to the people? Yes, um, most certainly, I think that is the way to go. Um, another reason that, that uh, St. Lucians are giving why they are not taking the vaccines yet is that they're waiting for Cuba. They trust Cuba. And, and that is a big thing for many, many St. Lucians. Now, in the St. Lucian context, we have, uh, we are bilingual. We have many people who, uh, uh, who speak Creole and, and uh, understand Creole. And so, the message of the importance of being vaccinated would be better understood if they, they reach them with the, 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 the Creole language. Um, I must applaud the St. Lucia Medical and Dental Association. They have tried using jingles in Creole. Um, the Ministry of Health has tried using um you know celebrities people who are well known you know people in um whether it's radio whether it's um the church except the bishop and interview those people and have it these short clips play on um radio and television but that still would not appeal to everybody you see a pushback on social media when persons post that i've taken my first job and i've taken my second person say good for you 
um, not because you've taken it that you know it means I, I should take it. So you see the pushback coming in and people are saying, you know, don't shove it down my throat. But I think there needs to be the conversation a little more face to face, whether in, in, in people's particular spaces, health promotion um, a kind of strategy, whether it's whether in, in the health centers, in churches, in small groups, we know the, the state of emergency and kill few is still in, in, in place. It was extended for five months, strange enough, um, just last month, last week, sorry. And so persons, we are limited in terms of how many people can assemble. But that being said, there is a Bureau of Health Department within the Ministry of Health, and I think it's time that the government put in the, the, the resources, the financial resources and other resources to enable the officers within that department to go out into the community like they do for dengue and they do for chicken gun and the other issues, to go out and meet the people where they are, listen to their concerns and explain to them what is happening you have the health centers that people come to every week they come to check with the doctors they have clinics etc meet them where they are and on a, on a le level with them and understand what their fears are and be able to communicate with them and to kind of lay those fears so it's most certainly i will agree that there needs to be new communication strategy to reach the people of saint lucia and within the region Dr. Simon, is that the new frontier, so to speak, going out, medical practitioners, people in the know, going out into the communities, meeting people, as Dr. Ren as Ms. Reynolds says, where they are to sort of impart the information rather than relying on traditional media outlets and social media to sort of educate people? It's, it's not just going out, it's staying in as well. And, you know, it's amazing you talk about going out. I remember that would have been 1975 or 76, sitting in the main lecture theater when we were told, you know, we're going to do some community medicine, going out into, into the community, into the bushes, as it, as it were. And uh, I remember a good friend of mine say, you know, I don't really want to do that. I just want to, you know, graduate and make some money. And interestingly, that that person went to the University of the West Indies, and I've heard that some people have gone to other places, like gone to Cuba to study. So it doesn't matter to some extent where you go. It, it, to some extent, or to a large extent, it, it matters who you are. Um, so you have to go out, but at the same time, you also have to stay mm -hmm. in, in the sense that doctors and nurses are in a privileged position. When I say privileged, I don't mean it's a highfalutin way. A privileged position when you sit in your office and a person comes in and tells you things that they don't even tell their partner or their friends or even don't tell themselves, but they will tell you. So in that captive situation, that you, you, you have the position where you can, in fact, impart information. And again, we were taught in medical school and we see it. If you allow the patient to talk, the patient will in fact, in essence, tell you what's wrong with them. Um, so we need to do that. We need to spend some more time in the office, allow, uh, spend some more time in the office with the patient, allow the patient uh, um, to talk and therefore to educate the, um, the patient in that setting, which means to dedicate, to draw out the information that they have to listen to the concerns um, that they have. But it's, has to do with um, with COVID or something else. So yes, it's going out as well as staying in and passing on the message. And um, I, if I can butt in here a bit, um, Kadim. Go right ahead. Um, I, I agree with um, Dr. Hare, but when I speak of uh, the health promotion officers, that's their job. 
to promote the health or promote the vaccine. The doctors and nurses, yes, they remain within the health centers, remain within the hospitals, etc., in the offices. But you, ha we have in the inclusion context a bureau of health education. We have persons who have studied health promotion. That's what they do. They prepare the jingles. They do certain things. But they too, apart from sitting and just sending those things to the media houses, they too know. They know how to reach solutions. They know where to go. They know how to go into the churches and address the congregation, have a sit down with the congregation. They know how to empower pastors and preachers and teachers. They know how to go to the colleges like they do with the health fairs. So yes, they are, there's, a role, there's a role for the doctors and nurses in that regard. But the Bureau of Health Department has um, um, officers who are trained, however, I'm saying that the, the government of St. Lucia need to put in the resources at this point in time to enable those officers because when they don't have the money, they cannot go out. They do not have the flyers. They do not have what they need to reach. Ms. Reynolds, are you there? Sorry about that. No problem. They need to put some resources in there to allow the officers within that department to do their job and do it effectively. Understood. No, 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 Dr. Simon, should this level of hesitancy be expected? You know, we have a, a new virus, we have a, a new uh, preventative uh, treatment or measure for it, and it's not a year old as yet. We have we we have had the initial uh, rush of individuals who are confident that the vaccine is is efficacious, confident that uh, they won't have adverse effects. Should should we not expect that this hesitancy or this uh, sort of fall off be there uh, as individuals continue to get the information that they they require to make up their minds? Oh yes, I mean the hesitancy is natural. Um, just we have we have to push back against it. We have to tell the truth. But before we get into that, a little more, I need to add that while it is true that there may be people who are willing and who are paid and who are able to go out and talk to the public, we also have to look at people in the medical sphere who the public feel you know some sort of confidence in, and, and that includes the pharmacists. People go to the pharmacists quite often and and get information. So it's it's a it's a multifaceted approach. You go out as well as you look at the people who who the, um, who the public um, speaks to. But yes, the hesitancy is, is natural. In fact, it's been there even before, I mean, eons ago, when vaccination started, even back in, 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 in smallpox uh, um, times. So it, it's natural. And it, therefore, it means that we have to understand that and engage them. And to some extent, uh, it, it's natural in the sense that, and it's useful to some extent, it, it, because it keeps us on our toes. It says we need to do a better job. And to the extent that vaccine manufacturers become a lot more molecular and um, people are concerned about big pharma and that sort of stuff, and they read and they hear, then they're pushing back. But well, we need to understand why the hesit hesitancy exists and, and push back as well or tell the truth uh, um, that, 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 we have to, that we have to tell. So it's natural to answer your question. It's natural for that to exist, for that to happen, and we just need to deal with it. Now, mm -hmm. Ms. Reynolds, we are not at a place where individuals are questioning all sorts of, of things uh, relating to vaccines, whether it be the, the adverse effects that uh, people are reporting social media wise in, in traditional media. Uh, is it is it 
uh, how do we approach this? Is, is there a best practice that you know of uh, as a minister who, who has been in uh, the Ministry of Health? It, how do we get to people? Uh, and I know you've mentioned going out into the communities and so on, but th- is there a best practice that we need to look at? Um, at this point in time, I would agree with Dr. Dutch. It's a multifaceted approach. Um, all hands on deck, um, pharmacists, doctors, nurses, health educators, health promoters, celebrities, media, church, um, because we know what can happen if we do not reach that um, percentage, 60, I think, or 65% immunity. For, for the country. And like I said, the fear is that we in St. Lucia, we have a high percentage of persons with underlying condition. We have the highest number of deaths, some COVID-related deaths in the OECS. We have 75. And for us, that's, that's a large number. I am not satisfied that the government is doing enough to get create that awareness like i said when the vaccines came there was a rush persons went in the doctors were speaking the nurses were speaking but believe it or not there are persons within the health sector nurses community health is persons within the health sector who have chosen not to who have decided not to they will not say it out loud they will say it privately they will say to their families, they will tell their families, wait a while and so on. So as uh, we are discussing, there is need to understand why. St. Lucians have, many St. Lucians have family members overseas in developed countries. And they communicate to their family members here in, in St. Lucia. And they say, well, I am in the States, I'm not taking it. Um, persons might take it when it's time to travel. Some people might say, I will take it when it's time to travel. Because the ministry has started with frontline workers, 80 years and above, 65 years and above, and now uh, persons with underlying conditions and now the entire population. So anybody can go in. But I think we need to target persons with underlying conditions. We need to target and, and persons who are the elderly. I think we need to look at various groups of people. Um, the farmers, persons who go to the market to sell. I think we need to look at the population, um, whether it's a Saturday morning by the market, whether it's the fisher folk. We need to target interest groups and, and tailor the messages for particular groups of people. Just dropping it in on the media may appeal to certain people. But you need to look at the population under a microscope. Persons who are more exposed, persons who have underlying conditions, you have. And they have started that because they would call at certain homes with persons with underlying conditions at the wellness centers. But those who do not visit wellness centers, how do you reach them? Persons who do not um, look at the, the news, who do not have TV at home, how do you reach them? Do they know what the effects are? Do, you, do they know what the implications are? So we need to have that conversation, interest groups, whether it's churches, whether it's fisher folk, farmers, 
women, with you know, with children, you know, in schools, at the college, we need to go to various groupings and have the conversation as well as one-on-one. -on -one. And like I said before, listen to them, listen to them, have a conversation. And this face-to-face -face is very important at this point. Now, Dr. Simon, uh, go ahead, go ahead, sorry. something to that? Go ahead, yes. It is often said, as, as Ms. Reynolds said, that we know what can, can happen in regards to COVID. But I have to tell you, we don't. I don't think we understand COVID. And I keep on saying, and I, you know, I'll reiterate that we need to start thinking of, of saying COVID and its family of variants, because it's not just one, one COVID as it were. We, we really don't know this, this, this virus. The COVID virus and its family are, in fact, what I consider the perfect enemy. We thought HIV was perfect because it, it affected the, the central cell in the immune system. But COVID is better than that. And COVID is not going away. COVID and its family of variants are not going away. Uh, it's not that you get COVID and you recover and some people die. In fact, when you look at people who have had COVID and are asymptomatic and you do CT scans in, on their lungs, there's scars in their lungs. And the concern is, are there going to be scars elsewhere? Because COVID not only affects the lungs, it's not just a respiratory disease. It affects the gastrointestinal tract. And because it primarily affects blood vessels, it affects the entire body. So what you have is COVID and its family of variants have discovered the West Indies at a time when the West Indies, and I speak of the West Indies because that's where we are, at a time when diabetes and hypertension and obesity are prevalent and these are three chronic endemic diseases in the west indies in the caribbean which are vascular diseases diabetes don't die from high blood sugar that much that often they die from heart attack they die from strokes and they have amputations it's a vascular disease as is hypertension as is obesity when you're obese you give all of a lot of chemicals that affect your blood vessels so covid has come in with its family and basically join these, these trio of diseases to form a quartet that is basically singing our death now. We need to understand that this is the perfect enemy that, <laughs> that, is, that is facing us. So it's not a question some people are, will, will get COVID and die and they're, they're old people and they're the young ones that are going to be spared. We're in for the long haul and talk about long haul. The people who recover from COVID who in fact um, have long COVID, a long haul COVID and is in fact, it's thought that the vaccine will in fact help these people. So again, we need to understand the full spectrum of this enemy that we are dealing with. Mm. Yes, yeah, sorry, you're, you're asking something else. Are you going to pose another question? Yes, Dr. Simon, I was going to ask, uh, in, in the multifaceted approach that we have to, or we should have to encouraging individuals to get vaccinated, is mandating it? A part of that uh, and and I, I think throughout the week that has passed we have heard different individuals including uh, lawyers speak about you know whether this is even legal you know and uh, one of the ways or uh, one of the things that uh, Mr. Asifan, uh, Tony Asifan pointed out this week was that we already have mandatory vaccinations for, for some individuals. If you look at individuals entering schools and, and having to travel to certain places in the world, you have to get certain vaccines before you progress. So uh, is it so bad? Uh, is this problematic, uh, this thought of mandating COVID-19 vaccines? 
it is problematic because there are some people who think um, rightly or wrongly that it goes against their personal freedom, it goes against their religion. I don't think any religion, for example, should be exempted. I hear the prime minister talk about, you know, exempting um, rastas. I don't think rastas should be exempted at all, at all, for reasons we can talk about later. Because quite frankly, all of us, whether you're rasta or whatever, we make choices every day. And this is why it's important to understand the enemy, to make a choice. Am I going to go this way or am I going to go that way? You know, so in terms of it being mandatory, I don't agree with that. I think it should be educational. As, as you said, there is mandatory, there is the, the, the uh, vaccination in regards to say mom's measles rubella and school and whatnot. And there are guidelines that nature has put out if you are thinking of going in that, that direction, although it sits on the fence when you look at the document they have in fact uh, 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 put out. And in essence, what it's saying, try all means. And even when you do that, you're still gonna have pushback. So it's a slippery slope you, 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 enter, you, you enter into. But then it's mandatory in a sense, you know, as you in fact hinted, when you're gonna go to certain places, you have to. If they say you can't enter my country unless you're vaccinated, then you either stay home or you get vaccinated and, and go. But in terms of a, a blanket uh, um, mandatory uh, approach to vaccination, I think we should try uh, um, education uh, um, over and over uh, again. Uh, and Dr. Simon, since you, you've touched on it, uh... I will ask you and, and then ask Ms. Reynolds a double barrel question. Uh, the issue of exempting people from uh, vaccines or getting the COVID-19 vaccine, uh, th they are individuals or, or government officials who are contemplating uh, should people who don't take vaccines for religious reasons be exempt from such a mandate. Uh, do you think that, that there should be exemptions? And if there should be, uh, under a, a prospective mandatory uh, system of, of vaccinations, uh, who should be exempt? And that's a, that's, a, that's a lot of hypotheticals right there, but uh, you can go right ahead. Unless there's some medical grounds, you know, from medical grounds, I don't think you should be exempted uh, at all. Um, and, uh, you know, someone said, unless you have some allergy to, um, to something in, in the vaccine, um, you should not be exempted. Why? I mean, you can spread the virus just like anyone else. Um, and this is why, you know, I mentioned that in, regard, in regards to say the raster, because that was mentioned uh, on locally. I mean, rasters make choices every day, just like all of us. I mean, you, you smoke herb, all right? And that's a choice you make because <laughs> the chemistry of combustion, the chemistry of burning says that when you burn anything, you're given off certain substances, certain hydrocarbons, certain chemicals, which are bad for your body, but you think it's minor, and you may be, in fact, be right. It, it's minor uh, compared to the greater good you're gonna get out of smoking herb. But whatever you burn, whether you're burning um, herb or you're burning bush in, in Exodus, <laughs> Moses probably saw the promised land, it, it depending on what bush was burning and whether he was on the leave or windward side, or whether you're burning um, bush in your backyard or barbecuing or you're burning incense, there are things that come off from burning, the chemistry said, which are, are bad for your health, but you make a choice, you make a decision that what you want out of this thing that you're burning is better than the minor, the, the, the minor um, side effects. So why can't you make that choice in regards to vaccine? And if you're so much against, against vaccine, we have just finally, finally hit uh, upon uh, in regards to malaria and, and vaccine, with millions of people, children and, and, and pregnant women are dying um, every year, every day in, in Africa. So, I mean, where, where, where do you get off of this thing about 
Rastas should be exempted. From what? No, no, Dr. Reynolds, uh, sorry, Miss Reynolds, uh, I, I, I think uh, I may be projecting or, or forecasting something in your future, uh, Miss Reynolds. So sorry about that. That's okay. I, I wanted to ask you, though, from, from someone who has been in the policymaking uh, seat, is this something that governments need to consider mandating uh, COVID-19 vaccines, given that our economies are so dependent on tourism and uh, a lot of countries now are saying that, hey, if you're going to travel to certain places uh, and, and they are below or above a certain threshold as it relates to COVID, active COVID cases, then you're going to be required to spend extra time in quarantine at, at your own expense. So with that with that in mind, should or, or do regional governments who rely on tourism, uh, do they need to move towards a place where they're mandating so that the economies of the region survive? Um, at this point in time, I think it is better to negotiate better to um, educate better to empower and the way uh, my my colleague guest doctor has spoken and explained the COVID situation I am sure a great percentage of St. Lucian's hearing somebody like that explained that way would be able to sink in and maybe have them lean towards um, taking the decision and asking questions. You see, and, and it is very important that people understand and appreciate what the science is saying. And a lot of people throw that out there, um, um, follow the science and so on, but not many people understand the science. And we need to appreciate that. I, I know the doctors are busy saving lives and putting things in place but they need to be more aggressive in the in, in, on radio on television and so on calling up their patients they privately sending messages and so on we need to go on a campaign to to have people understand this um when it comes to mandating no i would say for now no exempting anybody i would say no Un Strangely enough, the Rastafarian community, the, the um, executive of the Rastafarian community, held a meeting with the Ministry of Health, the CMO, etc., and they expressed the concerns, etc. I don't know what decisions are being taken in that regard, but at least they are saying what their concerns are and putting strengthening into their bodies, etc. But as Doctor is saying, they are, they can get infected, and they too can spread um, the virus. So how do you protect your population? Um, policymakers have a responsibility to protect the population as much as possible. So um, at all costs, at all costs. And so you will have to continue the dialogue with the Rastafarian and, and other persons who may have those issues. And they will know if they decide you know, you don't tie down anybody and force anybody into a hospital and, you know, send police to get people, all of these things. I mean, no, we can do better than that. I think we can do better than that as Caribbean people. But they need to understand if they, that's the way they're going, what are the implications? They need to know that there might be legal issues. If you, just like in HIV AIDS, you knowingly infected someone, you 
face the courts. You face the courts. And so these are things that we need to put in place very early, begin to tell people the same way, because now we are opening our borders even more. And our prime minister right, was just in Miami talking to cruise ship um, um, directors, etc., because they're excited that in July, by July, that cruise ships might come in, into St. Lucia. And then you have a flood of people coming from America and what have you. We do not have second testing in St. Lucia. So a flood of people are off the cruise ship, lining around in the city and all over the place. And then what? St. Lucians have not reached, we have not reached that 60% immunity that we're talking about. We're just about, what, 7.3%? So you see the situation that we are, we are causing for ourselves. So we need to take this into consideration very seriously. The government needs to look at our business in country. I know tourism is what it takes to get our economy going again, but we need to look at lives saving lives, protecting lives of everybody in the country. That for me is first and foremost, even before we consider bringing in cruise ships into the, into the country. And uh, the time, ta uh, Dr. Simon, I was just about to say that uh, we, we are at that end, end mark okay. for this segment. So in, in closing, Dr. Simon, uh, I'll allow you to, to make that comment you're about to make and as well, uh, once again address our, our big question for today and that is how do we get out of this place that we are in where there's there's apathy among many people what are the steps we need to take to get out of this space that we're in so so go right ahead dr simon yeah as a medical scientist i i, I deal with with the, with the medical science part of it i mean you hear people talk about things like why should i take the vaccine when i can still if i still have to wear a mask i can still spread it um, to someone else but there the, are logical scientific explanations for that i mean it's quite simply or quite uh, simply the ex the explanation is that antibodies you make are largely in your in your blood and in your tissues there are certain antibodies that are normally present in your mm -hmm. nose but we're going to be looking at vaccines to see if you can have a higher presence mm -hmm. of those protective antibodies in, in your nostrils so you can be vaccinated have the virus in your in in, in your in your in your nose for example it doesn't get inside your body to infect, but you can spread it. And we can go into that in, in, in some more detail some other time. Also, the clot issue has got, has got to be explained. It is not that this vaccine is, is, is rampantly um, causing, causing clot. It is a very, very rare issue. And it has to do with some idiosyncratic, some peculiarities in some people's um, um, some blood. Let's just call it blood. It's something called a platelets and so on. Um, where it incites a particular uh, um, condition based on some peculiarities to, um, that those people have. So we have to use the science and explain the science quite quite simply. And we cannot and should not wait um, because as it's often said, the best the best vaccine is the one that you have. Because if we if we don't use the vaccine we have, guess who is going to be laughing all the way uh, 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 to the bank? I mean, the, the COVID and its family of variants and the bank that they're going to, it's probably going to be a river bank. I mean, you don't have rivers in Antigua. We have them in St. Lucia. They're probably going to laugh all, all the way to, 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 um, to the river bank and be all, some of us at least get drowned inside here. COVID is not going away right now. It's going to become endemic. We're in for the long haul. And we need to understand this, what I call, perfect enemy so we can respond appropriately. And uh, Ms. Reynolds, I'll give you the last word. How do we get out of this, uh, this state that we're in with, with this high level of apathy amongst our citizens in the region? 
uh, I think we need to be more aggressive. Um, all the, the health sector, the government of St. Lucia, I mean, we are in election mode right now. Um, by the 12th of July, means the parliament will be dissolved. So people are not even, many people, I will not say everybody, many people are not even thinking COVID right now. They think in elections, election day, when will the date be called? So we need to have a lot of things settled um, as it pertains to the health of the nation right now. And I think the Prime Minister is in the perfect place to do that, whether it be continue the communication through the different ministers, the Ministry of Health, put the resources where it should be in the Ministry of Health, the various departments, to go out there and reach people where they are and to have the, the, the doctors and nurses be more aggressive, pharmacists, everybody. And, and of course, to speak the language of the people, whether it be um, in Creole, whether it be in English, use music for the young people, use social media for the youth, wherever it takes, do that. At the same time, I think the Prime Minister should decide to call elections and let this, this, this upheaval that's going on in the country just settle, just settle. We need to settle and focus on saving lives of the people in this country. On that note, I say thanks to you, Dr. Lester Simon, pathologist and chairman of the Vaccination National Technical Working Group. Thank you so much for joining us. And thanks to Ms. Alvina Reynolds. She is uh, joining us from St. Lucia. She was the uh, representative in the government of St. Lucia uh, from 2011 and 2016 in the Ministry of Health, Wellness, Human Services and Gender Relations. Uh, thank you so much, Ms. Reynolds. Thank you so much, Mr. Joseph. It was my pleasure. Bye-bye.